0: After death is a reality for all people. Then what is the purpose of this life? What is the purpose of this life? If it's only a vapor. And eternal life goes on forever. Then what is the purpose of this life? And as we meditate on this. We will come to the conclusion. That we are here for a very short time on a courtship, if you will. To prepare ourselves to meet our maker, Jesus Christ. To decide if we want to be in a relationship with him. To learn of his love for us. To know him. To live our lives in obedience to him so that we can have fruitful, meaningful, significant lives. Built with godly character. Godly character that glorifies Jesus. I have shared with you before in messages past, the Westminster Confession of Faith, we exist to know God and to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And the purpose of this life is to prepare ourselves for that eternity. And what I want you to know this morning is just as our childhood plays a significant role in who we become as as adults, so this life plays a significant role in who we become in eternal life. If you had parents who mistreated you, uh, did things that were wrong to you. You had a very dysfunctional childhood. Welcome to the club, by the way. Uh, But it it messes up some of your adult life. And you have to learn to sort through that and learn what is right and wrong and learn what is wisdom and begin to forgive your parents and, and realize, hey, they were just messed up people and begin to grow in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is more than capable of giving you all the wisdom you need to make up for your dysfunctional childhood. And I want you to know I've watched him do it even in my own life and in the lives of countless others. But it will make a difference on how you live this life. And this life will make a big difference on how we live in the afterlife, who we become in the afterlife. I want you to realize this. Jesus has the power to give us physical, biological life. And Jesus has the power to give us spiritual, eternal life. The first part of this is obvious to us all. You're here we look at the world and the world is teeming with life. I'm amazed that you can throw a fishing net into the ocean and pull in boatloads of fish. I'm amazed that life is just everywhere on this planet. God has given life to billions and billions of creatures. Yesterday, I was in my yard doing my yard work, blowing the the leaves, you know, and with a blower after you mow the lawn and and i must have hit an ant pile or something cuz i was blowing and i came back and there was like hundreds thousands of ants just going everywhere and i stopped for a moment i looked at them and you know when they get disrupted they kind of go crazy for a minute you know they're like scattering everywhere and running fast and and i'm looking down and i think their whole world's in turmoil right now you know just <laughs> but i thought there's so many of them there's so many of them and god gave physical, biological life to all of them. It's nothing for him. And I'm sitting there looking at all them all and then I went and got the ant spray and they were gone. <laughs> what are you gonna do? Uh... <laughs> but God has shown us that he has given diverse physical life, biological life, so that we might comprehend and understand that every bit is equally, he gives spiritual eternal life. And oh, how powerful it is. Our text is John 11 this morning, that the question Jesus asked. But before we go there, I wanna turn to John chapter five, because I want us to see first that Jesus Is the creator and the giver of life. That all life comes from Jesus. Jesus has the power to give physical life, and Jesus has the power to give spiritual life. That power is in his hands, he can speak it into existence. He is the author of life, it is nothing for him. He is omnipotent, incredibly powerful. And here, this passage will show us some of those things. Uh, Take a look at John chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. Are you there? John chapter 5. Find your way to verse 16. I'm going to pray for us as we open God's word. Jesus, we realize that you are the creator of the universe. The one who gave us physical life. The one who longs to give us spiritual life. Lord, you are the source of life. And we come to you, Lord, as we open your Bible, and we ask that you would open our minds to be able to see spiritual things. By nature, we are carnal. We can't discern the things of the Spirit. It is only by your Spirit that we're able to discern the things of the Spirit. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes now that we might see the wondrous things that are written in your word. Speak to our hearts personally and individually individually, Because, Lord, we've come to see you. We want to know you. And, Holy Spirit, we know that is your desire as well. So have your way with us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said? John chapter 5, verse 16. uh, Jesus has just healed a paralytic. A paraplegic, to be more precise. A man who for 38 years has not been able to walk. And with a word, Jesus tells him, pick up your bed and walk. No fanfare, no smoke, no fireworks. Pick up your bed and walk. And at his command, this paraplegic who hasn't walked in 38 years, stands up, picks up his bed and walks. Jesus did this on the Sabbath, not by accident, because Jesus is working on many fronts all the time. He's working in your life and he's working in your life. And a lot of times he'll work in your life and work in his life and do it together to work on both of your lives through the same thing. And there were religious leaders in Jesus' day who uh, were, were worshiping the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was never meant to be worshiped. God was meant to be worshipped. So Jesus intentionally puts a pebble in their shoe to rub them the wrong way a little bit by healing this guy on the Sabbath. So we'll pick it up, verse 16. For this reason, are you there, uh, John five sixteen? For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things, made a paralytic of 38 years walk on the Sabbath. Uh, That's a good reason to want to kill someone. (laughs) Not. uh, That was sarcasm. Uh, Verse 17. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now. And I have been working. Uh, What are you so upset about? Did you know that this universe does not just hold itself together? The laws of thermodynamics is everything goes from order to disorder. And the universe is held together by the power of God. And Jesus says, I've been working until now. My father's been working. Uh, Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father and underline these words, making himself equal with God. That is what he intended to do because that is who he is. Jesus is God who became a man and dwelt among us. And Jesus was intentional with his words. Verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Jesus is saying that the Father and the son are one and if you've seen the father you've seen excuse me if you've seen the son you've seen the father jesus says i only do what the father does by the way these words father and son are anthropomorphic terms to help us understand a triune god Jesus was not a son that was born or came into existence after the father. That's where the anthropomorphic terms break down. Jesus always was. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus always was. That's John 1.1. 1, 1. Jesus always was. And here he's saying, listen, I and the father are one and the same. Whatever the Father does, I do. Whatever I do, the Father does. We are one and the same. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. I'd like you to circle the words than these. He's gonna show you greater works than these. What's the than these? Greater work than a paralytic who's been paralyzed for 38 years, being instantly restored, legs that have never walked, muscles that have never stood, instantly being restored, nerves that have never connected, and instantly standing. Jesus says, I want you to know you're going to see greater works than these that you may marvel. Greater works than hearing a parap- paraplegic. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the son gives life to whom he will. The father and the son both give life to whoever they will. There is physical, biological life and he gives it to whoever he wills. There is spiritual eternal life and he gives it to whoever he wills verse 22 for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that's interesting we'll come back to that but take note of it the father judges no one he's committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as or in the same way as they honor the father. He who does not honor the father, excuse me, he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Jesus said, we are one in the same. If you honor me, you honor the father. If you honor the father, you honor me. We are one, one God. Verse 24, most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. I'd like you to circle these words also. Circle from death and circle into life. He's passed from death into life. Now, let me ask you, what kind of life are we talking about? For here we see Jesus has the power to give physical, biological life. He also has the power to give spiritual, eternal life. Which life are we talking about here? I like game shows, uh, so let's have a game show. (laughs) And I want everybody to play in the game show. Uh, There's no buzzer in your chair. You won't get electrocuted if you answer incorrectly. Uh, Is Jesus talking about physical life here? Uh, uh, Whoever uh, believes in him will have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from physical death into physical life? Or is he talking about spiritual death and spiritual life? Let's vote. How many of you say physical life? Wow, a lot more last service, only a few this service. How many of you say spiritual life? Well, the second service is smarter than the first service. Now we know. Uh, why do I say stupid things like that and get myself in trouble? Uh, I, I take that back. Jesus is talking about spiritual life here. He's saying, I want you to know, let's read it carefully. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who hears my words and believes in him, God, the father who sent me, the son has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from spiritual death into spiritual life. I want you to know something. We are all born spiritually dead. That's hard for us to come to terms with. We think we're pretty good. We are all born spiritually dead. Uh, We have a sin nature. We inherited it from our parents. And that sin nature causes us to sin. And when we sin, we are separated from God. We are born spiritually dead. But Jesus is saying, anyone who hears my words and believes will be taken from spiritual death into what? Spiritual life. And it can happen like that. And I marvel at it. I marvel at God's ability to be a life giver. I mentioned all the ants. We look at all the animals in creation there are billions and billions and billions of insects and bugs and there's plankton that is so small we can't even see it and somehow it's feeding whales and and all this biological life and he just speaks it into existence and in the rest of the universe we can't find any biological life no matter how hard we try uh so interesting other than microscopic forms that have gone out in the atmosphere and someone, some scientist is going to write me and then land on Mars. And, but they're the, the life forms from Earth. They're uh, got, caught, got caught in the atmosphere. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, tons of life. I remember, I have four kids. I watched all of my kids be born. It is the most miraculous thing. And I remember, you know, your poor wife, she's in just, you, you gals, you are amazing, by the way. You're just amazing creatures. Uh, kudos i mean you're just amazing <clears throat> and my wife's in labor firstborn and we've never done this before we don't know what we're doing we took this lamaze class it's not worth anything right <laughs> trying to breathe like breathe like looks at me like don't tell me to breathe right like okay won't do that again <clears throat> but after hours and hours suddenly this baby begins to come into the birth canal and my wife's in pain and I'm watching this baby come forward and I can see the baby starting to crown and, and then out comes this head and out comes this body and there for the first time, this child goes, oh, and takes a breath. And I think how remarkable. This child has never take a breath ever in nine months it's been fed uh, a, through an umbilical cord. It's been nourished. And now it comes out and takes a, a gasp for life and becomes this breathing child, just amazing. And I'm holding this child. I'm in awe. Like, it's incredible. I'm feeling my heart go into this, my son, Jordan. And the doctor says, here, cut the umbilical cord. And I'm like, I cut that thing. And as I do, my son's eyes kind of open and he's glazed, kind of looking like... And I go, wow, he just took a breath. And now he's starting to look and see. And just amazing. Why? Because Jesus has the power to just give physical, biological life. And he also has the power to give spiritual, eternal life. He just speaks and it's done. He's spoken to the universe, light be and light was. And the omnipotent power of Jesus is staggering. And he says, listen, if you believe, I will take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Verse 25, most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. What kind of dead are we talking about here? Again, he's talking about spiritually dead. He's saying, listen, uh, everyone's born spiritual dead, but those are going to hear my voice even right now, and they're going to go from death to spiritual life uh, just by hearing the voice of the Son of God, uh, and those who hear will live. They'll be given eternal life, and I want you to know I hope this is happening here today even as we speak and read Jesus' words, for he loves to give eternal life. I remember the day he gave it to me. I just told you about the day he gave my son physical life. I remember the day he gave me spiritual life. It was in a moment I said, I surrender. I'm tired of asking you to do it my way. I'll surrender. I'll do it your way. And in a moment, I was given life and I was transformed. And I've never been the same from that day on, 34 years ago might be longer. I might, get, might be getting mixed up. 1989, whenever that was. Um, <clears throat> the miracle of a conversion is the, is the miracle of a moment. And we go from being spiritually dead to being spiritual alive. And Jesus says, all who hear the, my voice will hear me and I'll give them spiritual life. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself so he has granted the son to have life in himself. In other words, Jesus is the giver of life. The father is the giver of life. Uh, The father, the son, the Holy Spirit, all three involved in creation, they are just life givers. Uh, As the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man. You remember in verse 22, he said, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. And I love this verse here. Look what he says. Verse 26, the father has life in himself. He has granted the son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also. Why? Because he is the son of man. Son of man, what does that mean? It means because this Eternal God came and took on a human body. And God put all judgment and gave all judgment to him because he knows what it's like to walk around this earth as a man. The Bible says he was in, in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. And you say, what do you mean? Well, Jesus had to go through life and learn what it was like to be mistreated by others, to be punched in the face for no reason, to be despised, to be gossiped about, to be talked about behind your back, to have someone stab a knife in your back when you're not there, to be betrayed by a close, intimate friend that he had poured all his heart into, to be misunderstood by so many be called a bastard in a world that he created, to face every wrong, uh, to go uh, and, and to experience hunger, and to experience cold, and to experience not having any money and having to provide for his family. He experienced all these things, and he did it all without sin, and therefore, he has been Assigned to be the one who will judge the sins of man. And this God who became a man went to a cross on our behalf so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. He wants to give eternal life as a free gift to all who call upon him. It is this God who wants to give eternal life and came and went through all this for that purpose, the one who will judge for our sin. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? I am so thankful. Verse 28. Do not marvel at this. We need to know what the this is. What's the this? Do not marvel at this. The previous thing that he said don't marvel was, hey, do not marvel that you saw a guy who was a paraplegic for 38 years instantly walk. Now he's saying something different. What's the this on on verse 28? Do not marvel at this. What? Not the judge. Nope. Do not marvel that he has the power to give spiritual life to everyone who believes. That's the this. That if he speaks and you believe him, he can give you eternal spiritual life. He says, don't marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves. What kind of death are we talking about now? Physical death. Don't marvel that I can give spiritual life to whoever I will. The hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation he's saying don't marvel that i can speak and take you from spiritual death to spiritual life you think that's something check this out everyone who physically dies i will speak and they will resurrect wow And he says it doesn't matter. He says there's a resurrection to eternal life with God, and there's a resurrection to condemnation apart from God. But I will speak, and everyone will resurrect and live forever. Either with God, spiritually alive, or spiritually dead. I want you to know something. The Bible is very clear. All will participate in the resurrection. And there are two groups. Those who are resurrected to eternal life and those who are resurrected to eternal condemnation. And you say, well, why would that be? How could a God of love ever send anybody to eternal condemnation? Well, I want you to know something. He does everything he can to keep that from happening. But he will not force you to be in a relationship with him. And you say, well, hey, I think that's fine. If I'm separated from God, I'll be partying with my friends. And I'll be smoking some doobies. And I'll be... I don't know all that lingo. I don't know. (laughs) I'll be watching porn. I'll be... We'll be having wild parties. No, you won't. Do you realize... That those who are resurrected to condemnation in this life experience the love of God daily. Did you realize that? All we know is this life. And in this life, the love of God flows freely. Theologians call this term common grace. And it's God's grace, God's love that are given to not just those who are saved, that are given to who? All men. In other words, Adolf Hitler walks into Starbucks and says, I'd like a latte, please. And the girl behind the counter smiles and says, hi, how are you today? Are you having a nice day? And she makes his latte and she gives it to him. And she says, blessings. I hope you have a great day. Do you know what that was? That was God's love. And it is common grace. And God's love is in the world through other believers and through God's common grace. But I want you to know at the resurrection of the unjust, you are completely separated from the presence of God. Today, all people experience the presence of God in some form in the form of common grace. But in hell, there will be absolutely no presence of God whatsoever, no common grace. And this is why the Bible uses adjectives to describe it that should really wake us up, where there is nothing but weeping and gnashing of teeth, where there is nothing but outer darkness, outer darkness. Have you ever felt so alone that no one understands you? Have you ever felt so empty that you're just backstabbing and, and, and you've had friends wrong you and you've been used and someone that you thought you loved and they were just using you the whole time. That's all there is in hell. There is no common grace whatsoever. And we need to be wise that uh, everyone will resurrect either to eternal life with God or to eternal condemnation apart from God for you were created an eternal being. And you were given a time here on this life to decide you have someone courting you. It is the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He is trying to draw you into the magnificent love of the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that who would ever believe in him would not perish. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And by believing in him, we have eternal life. In John 11... Jesus' crucifixion is just days away. And before Jesus dies, uh, his crucifixion is, is less than 10 days away when we turn to John 11. Go ahead and turn there now. <clears throat> and before Jesus dies, he wants his followers to know that he has the sovereign power to resurrect us from the grave. And take a look at what he does here in John 11. If you're there at verse one, give me a big amen. Amen. It says, "Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, a town, the town of Mary and her sister Martha." In other words, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are all siblings, all brothers and sisters, and they're all living in the same town, Bethany. And Bethany is just about a mile or two from Jerusalem. And Jesus hung out with these guys a lot. They were wealthy. Jesus would often stay in their home as he was, uh, you know, itinerant traveler going different places. He would often come to Jerusalem and stay with them. And so here we see that Lazarus gets really sick. Verse two, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair Whose brother Lazarus was sick, just giving us more commentary on who this was. Uh, you know the story. She had an alabaster box of very expensive ointment, probably saving it for her wedding, probably her dowry, and she chose to use it at Jesus uh, break it open and pour it on Jesus's feet, and wiped his feet with her tears. <clears throat> and it was days before Jesus went to the cross. Uh, we're only about 10 days away right now, and Jesus said, "She has done this for my burial." It was prophetic. Uh, So that's the family we're talking about. Verse 3. Therefore, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent to him, that's to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. What is she asking Jesus for? To To heal him. Now, you need to know something. Jesus is about 60 miles away. We know that because if you come up to chapter 10, verse 40, it tells us that Jesus is hanging out. At the place where John the Baptist first started baptizing. Uh, and the reason he's hanging out there is because things are getting really tense in Jerusalem. All the religious leaders want to kill him. And they want to kill him when? Right now. But Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Jesus didn't want to kill them, have them kill him right now. Jesus was prophesied to die on Passover. He was the Passover lamb. So Jesus goes up to uh, a place about 60 miles away. Here it is for you on a map. Uh, This is where John the baptizer started baptizing. Uh, There's the red star where Jerusalem is. uh, And there's Gaza just because it's in the news. Uh, And and so Jesus is 60 miles as the crow flies up there. And Mary and Martha send a message to him. By the way, just to make things confusing, that little yellow dot is also called Bethany, but it's called Bethany beyond the Jordan. It was on the West. east side of the Jordan River, and that's where John was baptized in the beginning, and that's where Jesus went to get away from the heat of Jerusalem right now. Does uh, that all, all that make sense? Um, <clears throat> so they send a message. Hey, she sends runners up there, right? And, and hey, uh, we want you to heal Lazarus, is what she's asking, verse three. Verse four, when Jesus heard that, he said... This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. It's interesting, in verse 3, she says, Behold whom you love. The word that she uses in verse 3 is phileo. Jesus, the one that you phileo uh, is a brotherly kind of love. Uh, Jesus, guess what word he uses here in verse five? Jesus loved Martha. That's agape. Agape is a love that is uncaused by you. A love that has nothing to do with anything that you've ever done. It's a love that is just all originated in the one who is giving it. It is not something that is earned or grown. She thinks that he phileos her. He says, no, I agape you. And it has nothing to do with how good you are or what you've done. Verse six. So when he, that's Jesus, heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was, all the way up to the north. Then after this, he, Jesus, said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Let us go to Jerusalem again. Let's go see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, it's a three-day journey, uh, at least, because it's six, at least 60 miles, right? So if you're hoofing it, it's going to be a three-day journey, 20 miles a day. Uh, verse 8, <clears throat> the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you there. And are you going there again? Uh, his buddies, they tell him, Jesus, if we go to Jerusalem, that's a suicide mission. What are you doing going to Jerusalem? Verse 9, And Jesus answered, this is profound. He said, are there not 12 hours in the day? Jesus breaks a day. How many hours in a day? 24. Jesus breaks the day into two parts. You're either in what? The daylight or you're in the darkness. He says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, in the light, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles Because the light is not, circle this, in him. We're not talking about sunlight. In him. Walking in the day, in the light of the sun, a man can see and uh, avoid a rock, avoid a curb, avoid whatever, and he can see, and therefore he doesn't stumble. Walking in the night, without any light, you can step off a curb and not expect it and, and step off a kick your toe on the end of the bed and then just break your toe and, and you stumble when there is no light. And Jesus is saying, if we follow Jesus, we will always, what? Walk in the light. If we are believing and obeying his words, he will guide us. Uh, and if we do not follow Jesus, his light is not in us and we walk in darkness. And we stumble and we fall. I love watching a godly man and a godly woman who are married and they get into an argument. They have some kind of problem. And I love watching the wisdom that begins to unfold in that man's life as he begins to lead his family spiritually and bring resolution and insight into this problem. You have a problem with the kids and a godly man led by the Lord, led by, has light in his life and that light begins to help him navigate. Well, how do we deal with Johnny taking drugs? How do we do, deal with little Susie wearing short skirts? How do we deal with these? And he brings wisdom into the relationship because the light of God is in him. Jesus wants to illuminate our path, wants to give us wisdom and discernment so that we can have meaningful significant lives that look different than the rest of the world that are full of character and and are built up lives that glorify jesus but i talk with other married couples who are not walking in that light and it's their second marriage it's their third marriage it's their fourth marriage and there's turmoil and they can't seem to figure out how to navigate the path why because the light of christ is not in them And they're walking in darkness. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I want you to walk in my ways. I want you to have the light in your life. We also see that Jesus is saying of himself that he himself is also modeling this for us by walking in the light of the father. By willingly going to Jerusalem, even though he knows the religious leaders are there waiting to kill him. The cross of Calvary is God's plan of salvation laid out before the beginning of time to save us of our sins. And Jesus did not accidentally stumble into it and was crucified. Jesus had planned it before he created the earth. And now the choice lies before him as he walks as a man to walk in that path or not. And he says, listen, I am walking in the light. Jesus does not deviate. He willingly goes to Jerusalem knowing that his torturous death is at hand. And he willingly did this to purchase our salvation and to redeem us and to give us a resurrection unto eternal life with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, because there was no other way for man to be saved. Verse 11, let's go on. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Uh, Lazarus has died. Jesus knows Lazarus has died. He's omnipotent. uh, Excuse me, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows Lazarus has died. He tells the disciples, uh, Lazarus sleeps. Why does he use the, the word sleep? Because believers never die. Sleep is a euphemism used all through the Bible for a believer's death because a believer never dies. You take your last breath here on earth and you stand instantly in the presence of God. Just like my son was in that birth canal and then living there just fine and then all of a sudden he comes into this world and takes his first breath. We will do the same thing. Amazing. And so he tells him, uh, he sleeps, but I go that I might wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. Uh, What do the disciples think? Oh, he's just sick and sleeping's really good. I hope he's drinking Gatorade and lots of liquids and getting some sleep. It'll be good, right? Verse 13. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking to, to them about taking a rest and sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I imagine there was a pause. And this was their buddy, all of them. And you know that feeling that comes over you when you find out you've lost a loved one. (sighs) Oh. And then Jesus has the audacity to say this, and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Now Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, to the other 11 disciples, well, let us all go. Let us also also go that we may die with him. What's he saying? Last time we were there, they wanted to kill us. If we go there, we're all gonna die. You see, Jesus was on Jerusalem's most wanted list. And underneath his picture were 12 other pictures of his disciples that were on the most wanted list in Jerusalem. And Thomas is saying, we're all gonna die if we go to Jerusalem. And he wasn't wrong. Verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he, that's Lazarus, had already been dead, or excuse me, already been in the tomb four days. I don't know how long he's been dead, but he's been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. Uh, And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So in Mary and Martha's home, all the Jews are there and they're all just, they're mourning, they're weeping and and uh, mourning is so interesting, isn't it? How it comes. I remember when I lost my mom. Uh, I didn't feel a lot of mourning right there on the spot. Uh, but uh, a few days later, I was out in the backyard and I was trimming a vine, and there I am trimming the vine, and out of nowhere, <laughs> this flood of emotion came over me, and I just start to weep at this vine. And you know that's how mourning is, right? They're like it just hits you at the most unusual times, and uh, so they're there and they're all mourning. Um, And the Jews are the friends there to comfort and everything. And they're hugging her. And verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went out and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. She sees Jesus off in the distance and she leaves the house and goes running towards Jesus. And look at verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What kind of tone do you think she was saying when she said that? If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you, Lord? What's going on? Uh, Interesting how uh, uh, she says this, and she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give to you. Not only was she mourning the loss of her brother, who's been dead now for four or five days, but she is also feeling forgotten by Jesus. Sometimes it feels as if Jesus does not answer our prayers. We cry out to him, and yet we get radio silence. It feels like nothing is happening. And Martha could not understand why Jesus didn't just come and heal her brother. Why didn't he answer her prayer? It would be nothing, right? I mean, Jesus has healed literally thousands and thousands of people, and she has seen it. And she knew Jesus had the power. Jesus, for you to be nothing. Why didn't you come? Why don't you just speak the word even from where you were? Just, yeah, I know you could have done this. And she's heartbroken because she feels like Jesus isn't answering her prayers. The Bible says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't feel that way right now to Mary and Martha. But it is no less true. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I have a friend of mine who was skiing in Idaho last week. And there he was on vacation enjoying a nice ski trip. And as he's sitting there on the ski slopes, some kamikaze pilot comes in totally out of control and slams into him, takes him down and breaks his ribs. Oh, why? Why me? And it puts an end to the ski trip. And so he leaves, flies home, And I don't know if you've ever broken ribs. I have. If you've broken ribs, you know sleeping is a mission, man. It's like almost impossible. And so he goes to bed and he cannot sleep. He is just tossing and turning. Says he feels like his lungs are collapsing. Tells his wife, she says, you want me to call 911? He goes, no, 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 he's a guy. No, no, no. (laughs) And eventually in a couple days, he goes to the doctor. He goes into the doctor and the doctor says, we better do an a, a MRI or a CT scan on, your, on you just to make sure your lung isn't collapsed. And so they do. And as they do the CT scan or the MRI, whatever it was, they find out he's got an aneurysm on his aortic valve that is about ready to rupture. And the doctor says, your lungs are fine and your ribs will be fine, but you are Lucky that you came in here, that you broke your ribs because you were a, a, a ready to die. And they scheduled an immediate surgery for him. He's getting operated on this, this coming week. We're gonna pray for him after the service. And, uh, and I want you to know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't always feel it, but we see it afterwards. Same thing is going on in in, uh, Mary and Martha's life. Jesus did not answer Martha as the healer of her sickness. Why? Because he wants her to know him as something bigger than that. She already knows he's the Messiah who heals, but he wants her to know him as God. And so he is going to resurrect her brother. Martha knew him as a Messiah, as a teacher, as a healer, but he wants her to know him as God. And this is who Jesus is. And so he intentionally delays his coming, not to hurt Martha, but to build her up by building her faith up and revealing more of his plan of salvation by revealing more of himself to her so that he could know her more intimately, more of his divine power uh, and taking her deeper in her relationship than she ever was before. And I want you to know Jesus is doing the exact same thing and in your life and in my life always. Truth be told, we are prone to be pretty content with a little sliver of Jesus. Yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross. That's enough for me. I want to go do my thing. I want to go play golf. I want to go surf. I want to go do my stuff. And Jesus says, no, I'd like you to know me a little more than that. And so he orchestrates life to lead us into paths where we begin to learn more about him. Uh, look how he does this. Verse 23. Takes her deeper. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, I know. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Uh, she had good theology. She knew, she's, you know, but, but Jesus, I miss him. I miss him. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus, listen, Martha, Uh, the resurrection isn't a day in the future. The resurrection is what? Is me. I have the power to resurrect. It's not some day. I am the resurrection. And I am life. I am the giver of all. He who believes in me, though he die, Though he may die, he shall live. That die, what die are we talking about there? Physical death. Though he physically die, he will live. What a crazy declaration. And then here's the question Jesus asked, our big question. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's talking spiritually. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the son of God, who's come into the world. She's saved, but she doesn't understand the depth of who Jesus is. Jesus is showing her more of himself. Verse 28. And when she said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and he's calling for you. As soon as she heard that, Mary heard that, she arose quickly out of her house and came to Jesus. And Jesus has not come into the town yet, but was in a place where Martha met him Uh, Jesus wanted to have a little time away from the big entire group just to talk to Mary and Martha. Are you not amazed how personal Jesus is with you? And the things he does to orchestrate us, to get us away from everything else so that he can have our undivided attention. We see it right here. Verse 31 Then the Jews who were with her in the house, comforting her, when they saw her, when they saw Mary rise up quickly and go out, followed her and said, oh, she must be going to the tomb to weep there. But she wasn't. She was going to Jesus. Verse 32. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. I'm heartbroken. You let me down. I've lost my brother and you disappointed me. You didn't answer my prayers. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was groaned in spirit and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And so they take him to the tomb where he was. And look at verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. And Jesus wept. In the Greek, there are different words for weeping. There's a word that means wailing, like what the mourners would be doing at the house, you know, like the Jewish mourning, like oh, you know. This word isn't that. This word is just a quiet tears flowing from his face, no noise. Jesus wept. Verse thirty-six, and the Jews said, "Wow, look how he loved." look how he loved lazarus they could see on jesus's face the depth of his love for his people it was clearly evident to all and some of them said cannot this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying they also knew jesus as the messiah and as the healer but they didn't know him as what they didn't know him as god Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. That means it was a wealthy uh, grave, by the way, not a standard grave. Uh, This was a wealthier family. Uh, Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. For he has been dead four days. Jesus, if we roll away that stone now, it is going to stink bad, right? I love the King James Version, by the way. Uh, it's so poetic. He says, Lord, by now he stinketh. <laughs> Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Don't you remember verse 26, that whoever lives and believes in me shall never die? Do you believe this? Then he spoke, excuse me, then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this. That they may believe that you sent me. What does that mean? Jesus offers a short, profound prayer. And he says, Because of the people who were standing by, I said this. Said what? Said that, Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he says, Father, I said this, that they might believe that you've sent me, that they might believe that the Father and the Son are one and that uh, the Son is is God in the flesh. Uh, Verse 43, now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, just three words, Lazarus, come forth. No smoke and mirrors, no fireworks, no fog machines, no abracadabra, Just like he said, light be, and light was. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot, with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with uh, with a cloth. It's kind of comical. He comes out and he's like, hey, hey, let me out of this thing, right? His hands are taped up. He's all wrapped up. He can't do anything, right? What a a sight. Can you imagine? People's hearts would have stopped. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. The divine life-giving power of Jesus is astonishing. It's unbelievable. He speaks the word and the bodily resurrection happens. The sickness is gone. The rotting flesh is gone. The stench is gone. Death is swallowed up by life uh, just at the voice of his word. And look at this. This is astonishing. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things that Jesus did believed in him. That makes sense. They knew that he was not just the Messiah, but the Messiah was God in the flesh, and they believed. But look at 46. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. And the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered council. They had a board meeting, and they said, what shall we do? By the way, a board meeting is only as good as the men on the board. What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, here we see the real issue. Here we see the real motive. What's it all about? Their power and their position. Why? Because they don't understand eternal life. And they're trying to get everything they can out of this one. It is not until we understand eternal life that we can ever live properly in the life we have now. Look at verse 53. From that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Jesus has the power to raise us to eternal life. Martha knew Jesus as a healer. That's beautiful. Jesus is there when we need help. Jesus is there when we call upon him. He helps us. When we're cast down, Jesus is there. When we need guidance, Jesus is there. Jesus is our savior. And that is a mind-boggling blessing. But I also want you to know, Jesus is so much more than our savior. Jesus is also the God of our eternity. And he who believes in him will never die, will have eternal life. And here's the question, do you Believe this. If you believe it, it begins to boggle the mind. Because God has eternity planned for you. Do you understand how big Jesus' plans are for you? Do you have any idea? Without understanding these things, when we're spiritually dead, we just go around... For 75 years, trying to make money, trying to make a name for ourselves, trying to find a mate, trying to find some momentary pleasure uh, to satisfy ourselves with, and we are like blind men, snubbing our noses at King Jesus, foolishly thinking that we have more important things to do with our time. But I want you to think about this. This life is just a vapor, God says, And it's here to decide what you want to be for eternity. Can you imagine how big Jesus' plans are for you? And it is not until we understand this that we will ever see our life here in proper perspective. Until we understand this, we will get so irritated when the neighbor's dog poops on our lawn. (laughs) We will get so irritated when someone else wears my dress to the party. We will get so irritated when someone else got the promotion instead of, me, instead of me. But when we understand our life is a vapor, and that God works all things together for good, that those who love him are called according to his purposes, and that he has an eternal plan for us, and the life we live now and the wisdom we grow in affects who we will be in eternity, I would encourage you on your own, study diligently 1 Corinthians chapter 15 the most profound chapter on the bodily resurrection. I've taught on it. You can find it online. There are incredible depths in that chapter like no other. But man, let me tell you something. Jesus has big plans for you. I want to leave you with one last uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, Why don't you stand with me? We'll read it together. C.S. Lewis, talking about the folly of our life and being uh, spiritually blind, spiritually dead, he says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. But when we begin to comprehend that we have been created by a personal God to be in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ for all eternity and that this life here is merely a primer to our eternal life with a God who loves us, loves us enough to go to a cross and pay for our sins, something quickens within us we go from death to life and we finally begin to understand and to comprehend our worth and our purpose in Jesus Christ, that we are sons of his kingdom who will live forever. In first Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that love him. God is trying to show it to us, but we are so preoccupied with our little mud pies and our little getting a a Jack Daniels and Coke and, and whatever it is we're pursuing, right, that we don't even comprehend what he has for us. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The incredible plan that God has for your life. Verse 10 goes on to say, but God has revealed these things to us who are born again by his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And when you begin to understand that, your perspective on life changes Mm -hmm. entirely. Let's put the question back up there. Let's read it together. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Here's the question. Do you believe this? I want you to know you answer not only with words, but with your actions. May we answer wisely. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.